There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Before we get started, ShotSpotter did reach out to us regarding some of the statistics provided in our episodes and their position with respect to the Williams case. ShotSpotter disclaims all responsibility in Mr. Williams' incarceration and disagrees with the Associated Press's factual assertions regarding changing locations. If you're interested in reviewing additional information from ShotSpotter on these topics, please visit www.shotspotter.com. Before we get too carried away in what may well be a two-part series, uh, we want to give a couple of shout-outs. Shout-out to Mission Control, astute listeners. You may notice that he made his first on-air appearance quite recently, working with our good friends, Illumination Global Unlimited. So that's the kind of door you can't close, Paul. 
Welcome to the show. Uh, also, uh, shout out to everyone who picked up a copy of our book, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Uh, we've been getting, there's this really neat thing happening on social media. People are sending, like, or they're posting when the book arrives for them, for folks who ordered a, a physical or print copy. It always makes our day to see it because we really, um, I don't know, the kind of folks we are, Matt Nolan, I know one of the first things we talked about when we finally got got the manuscript done on this one was, okay, what's our next book? And everybody, <laughs> everybody's telling us, uh, slow down, you gotta you gotta talk about this this first one. So we might even have an episode where we talk about the process of of going through this book if that would if that would be interesting to anyone. What do you what do you guys think? Would that be interesting or is that like I mean, I was interested. I'm interested and I went through it. So uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, mystical stuff wrapped up in the publishing world. And I think um, there could be some stuff they don't want you to know about the stuff Ooh. they don't want you to know book, perhaps. Ooh. Maybe we could get Niels on the show with us. Huh? Oh, man. The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, if we can pull him away from Arnold Schwarzenegger, that is a true story. And just that kind of offhand comment makes, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board. Uh, we'll, I know Arnold's we'll pretty it. strong. I don't know how we're going to be able to pull <laughs> him away true. if he doesn't want to relinquish him. We'll have to entice him with like cigars. I'm thinking like one of those old school cartoon traps where you've got a, a, a box and then there's a stick, you know, and then we got we got like some Cuban cigars there, and we just get them toward the box, and we pull the string. Had to be a nah, big dude. Box. Arnold Arnold sets traps up like that. Like yeah, he, he knows he knows that tactic. The stick is the cigar. The box is a cigar box, and then the 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 treat is also a cigar. You mess around and catch a predator in there. It's all cigars. Uh, so yes, well, we'll put a pin in that. Maybe we'll just be honest with Arnold and ask him if we can borrow his buddy for a minute. But in the meantime, we have to be honest the, for us to be able to put in our awesome Acme level plans, we're going to need to not get sued by a company called ShotSpotter. That's right. Today, we are looking at the gritty world of crime, the bleeding edge of technology, and of course, sadly, more than a little bit of corruption and conspiracy, depending on who you ask. This is our Shot Spotter episode, and we want to thank everybody who took the time to write in, uh, from everyone from activists to uh, active members of law enforcement to uh, regular, regular folks who don't work in a related industry, but we're saying, hey, this is scary stuff. Let's learn more about it. So we want to thank all of you. Uh, you might get a name drop as we, as we explore this troublesome, controversial story. And, and again, what will probably have to be a two-part episode. So here are the facts. We're talking about crime. We're not going to be, uh, you know, we, we don't like the exploitative or exploitive nature of some, some ways the media explores crime or reports on it. But it's no secret, right? Everybody knows the United States has a huge problem with gun deaths in particular, right? That's not a hot take. I don't think so. It seems that we're 
sort of a, an outlier in that respect uh, compared to other parts of, of the world. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me right this exact second, but you sure hear a lot more about people getting killed by weapons here in America than you do in, say, you know, the UK or Asia. Well, we've got some stats, right, from the Pew oh, Research Center? Do. Oh, yeah, those are the ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. we've, got, we've got some. I mean, to your point, Noel, it's... I think we're also referring there specifically to uh, global conversions, right? Global comparisons, right? Um, And we haven't pulled that because right now, ShotSpotter is still very much a United States and North American story. But uh, I would posit it's not going to be that way for long. We'll, We'll see why. I mean, look, we always want to be very mindful about the way we address Uh, anything related to mass shootings and gun deaths in the United States. There's no end to people arguing different perspectives on this, right? How did this country come to be in this position? How best to solve or address the issue? But everybody can agree there is a problem. For today's episode, spoiler, we're probably not going to be the folks to fix it. But if you'd like to learn more about these perspectives, check out some of our previous work on this. And you know what? If you're listening and you specifically have the answer to solving gun deaths in the United States, or at least putting them in line with other countries, don't even wait to listen to the rest of this episode. Just pause it and then email the answer to us now, because we will put it on air if we think it's legit. Everybody wants this problem solved because places like the Pew Research Center, like you mentioned, Matt, and the CDC, places that are uh, objective quantitative-based institutions, they notice that gun deaths aren't just a problem historically in the U.S. Gun deaths are actually escalating. They are on the rise in a dangerous way. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and say it. So in 2020, the year of the pandemic, it was the most people affected by gun-related injuries on record, right? 2020. And this, as we record this episode, is the latest set of numbers that we have from that year. It says 45,222 people died from gun-related injuries in the United States in 2020. Jesus. That just seems egregious. That's an insane number. I mean, how many people died from traffic accidents in a year? Is it more than that? Less than that? I think it... Well, think about it this way. Is there an active war within the United States where that number of casualties by gun would make sense logically, right? Where there's an active, there's an active gunfight in an area of, you know, a country at maybe any time. No, this is just standard living. And it is more people than traffic. Oh yeah. It's it's a double. Uh, I just looked it up about 20,000 people died in motor vehicle traffic crashes uh, in 2012, the first half of 2022. Yeah. In, so, okay, maybe it's about equal it, then, roughly. It's scary. Half. In 2020, um, in 2020, the Department of Transportation said uh, 38,824 people died in traffic fatalities. So more people in 2020 were dying of gun-related deaths rather than traffic, which is crazy because way more people own cars than own guns. You know what I mean? It's It's far more likely... For anybody who's not in the U.S., you know, there's this stereotype that has some truth to it that a lot of our non-U.S. friends will will point to uh, where 
other people in Europe, for example, have this image of every American rolling strapped to the gills. Uh, that's not true. Like there is a lot of gun ownership, but uh, many of the people who own firearms, who sort of contribute significantly to those ownership statistics, they own multiple firearms. They're kind of messing with the bell curve at that point. But to that image that you described, Ben, I mean, in certain states where there are open carry laws, you will see individuals literally strapped walking through Target or what have you. Uh, And for folks that are not expecting to see that and for folks from countries where even the police don't have guns most of the the time, that image must seem just uh, absurdly cartoonish, as you would say, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Again, there's there's a little bit of truth to it. And, you know, in full disclosure, Georgia where this podcast is recorded recently became one of those, uh, one of the more strident open carry states. You don't have to have a license to rock a firearm in this state currently. But we got to dive into these stats. So Matt, you said over 45,000 people, 45,222. This number includes, Includes some disturbing stuff. Let's talk about what it doesn't include. It does not include deaths where gunshot injuries played a contributing but not primary role. What that means is like if someone, if someone is in an altercation, right? And let's, I mean, this is brutal, but this a hypothetical example. Say someone is in a domestic violence situation, or they're in something like a, a a bar fight. Or whatever, like the old Jim Croce song, he was stabbed in a bunch of places, shot in a couple more, that kind of thing. If stab wounds are the primary cause of death, then they're not going to count as a gun death because the CDC gets these numbers by looking at death certificates. Death certificates pick one thing as a form of demise or the, you know, the way someone dies. But there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misinformation about these tragic events, homicides and mass shootings often get reported, right? There's disturbing times where it seems like a mass shooting is in the news all too frequently, you know? Not that there's ever a good time for that to be a story in the news, but there's less public attention on suicides. And if you look at the statistics the pro- the majority of gun deaths in the United States are not homicides. They're suicides. In 2020, it was 54% of all the country's firearm deaths. They were people taking their own lives. This also accelerated during the pandemic. That's heartbreaking. We should also note that that large number, 45 plus thousand, also includes deaths uh, with encounters with law enforcement, right? Yeah, 600. So 43% are just considered murders. That'd be criminals, civilian, purposely killing one another. 54% taking one's own life. And then the the other category, the miscellaneous, the 3% includes stuff like unintentional accidental discharge deaths. It's about 535 people. Uh, Deaths that involve law enforcement, which is some They have very specific reasons for picking that language. That led to the deaths of 611 people. And then there's good old undetermined circumstances. We're not sure, but 400 people are dead. So, I mean, I think it's clear 
there is a problem based on literally everything we've just said, uh, supported by all of these troubling statistics. And every day, more than 50 people are murdered, intentionally killed. I know you know what murdered means, but I just want to hit that home with a gun. And another 1,100 are threatened, menaced, uh, perhaps even abducted, you know, in some way uh, coerced uh, during some commission of a violent crime. And, of course, whatever your stance might be on the Second Amendment, we know this is a very fraught issue. I think there I think any of the three of us would also argue that maybe not, but uh I think it's important to be able to defend oneself, um, but I think that should be there should be checks and balances on that. And I think the ones that are in place aren't mega great. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, regardless of your personal stance on the Second Amendment or on gun owner rights or firearm legislation and what have you. Everyone can agree that fewer gun deaths would be a wonderful thing. That's why there are people working around the clock to prevent them. When we're talking about prevention, we're talking about tons of different proposed strategies. Some are more popular than others, but right now, there's not a universal one that everyone agrees on. There are things like higher levels of gun control. That would be a bucket that includes stuff like make certain types of firearms illegal. It doesn't matter, you know, how clean or spotless your background check is. You just can't have this one. People don't like hearing that. A lot of uh, firearm enthusiasts think that's the wrong way to go. And then there's the idea, let's just have higher standards for firearm purchasing or for tracking a firearm, right? And we do know this is complicated because powerful financial interests are at play here. That's an apolitical point. Profits. P-R-O-F-I-T-S, only care about politics uh, in as much as it affects the bottom line. So we have to be really careful to check sources to um, not immediately fall for hyperbolic headlines if those headlines are bought. And that goes, unfortunately, that includes some academic studies as well. Well, sure. And I mean, a lot of these companies that manufacture firearms are some of the oldest, you know, uh, still around. I mean, like Smith and Wesson, you know, companies that have been making guns since the Wild West days. And what happens when you have that legacy? You got legacy money that you can use to hire law firms and lobbyists and uh, and PR spins and, and, and unfortunately, literally by politicians, you know, whether or not you think that's hyperbolic or not, I, I, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, certainly you can't argue that some levels of lobbying is exactly that, is, is buying politicians, at the very least coercing or influencing them in a pretty toxic way. Whole chapter in the book about it, folks. Check it out. It's the one, uh, it's, it's one of the ones we almost published as an audiobook excerpt here on the show. Buy our book. Buy our book. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so this, yeah, this is true. Money is involved. That's a big thing. Uh, but also, I think a lot of folks might miss this if they're outside observers. Many U.S. residents don't just consider firearm ownership a legal right. For many, it's seen as a fundamental part of America's cultural fabric. And it comes from the healthy skepticism that argues it is our right as citizens to be prepared against government tyranny or the rise of dangerous regimes. This is a very old idea. Dates all the way back to the American Revolution. 
or as our British friends probably call it, the peasant unpleasantness. You guys like that one? I, made that <laughs> I, read, one up. That. I read that as the pleasant unpleasantness. <laughs> and pleasant. it, was, uh, it was very confused. The peasants are unpleasant and have been since the late 1700s. Something must be done. Uh, well, it's a good strategy to make sure the peasants can make it very unpleasant for any ruler who decides to put him or herself in power, right? I think it's probably mm-hmm. a good thing. Yeah, agreed. I mean, that's... Look, that's that's another reason there are things like term limits, and you don't have to look far to see what happens when the peaceful succession of power is endangered or when um, people start ignoring those checks and balances in the government. Right now, I'm thinking, of course, of our man Xi Jinping out in China, who just uh, started, you know, he just kicked out some rivals, had another purge of the party and uh, made some barnstorming speeches for him at least, uh, and is probably going to continue to try to be uh, president for as long as possible. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that can happen. And the, the founding fathers of the United States, as imperfect and at times hypocritical as they were, they were aware of the danger. And that's something that a lot of people point to when they talk about the second amendment. Also, if we go back to the business People in the U.S. buy guns all the time, and there are lobbying groups that'll seed these pseudo grassroots stories about ammunition being in shortage because that makes people buy more ammo instantly. Um, in 2021, U.S. residents bought 20 million guns. Then again, a lot of those are from maybe collectors or from people who own multiple firearms already. So it's not as if, you know, that stereotype does bug me. But just to be clear, it's not as if a child is born in the U.S. and is given a pacifier and like a tiny forty-five or something, you know. Uh, <laughs> a tiny forty-five. <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah. Not enough muscles in that baby's arm to fire any sized forty-five. <laughs> Oh, man, come on. Tiny 45s brought to you by Illumination Global Unlimited and its subsidiary Smith & Wesson. I love that you shot them out, Noel. They made over a billion dollars last year alone. Uh, 20 million guns, just for context, breaks down to about six guns for every 100 U.S. residents. Give go off census numbers. So there are a lot. There are a lot more than you would find in parts of Europe. With all this in mind, you can see how these things complicate this issue, right? But I feel like, okay, tell me if I'm if I'm off base here, guys. I feel like even the most hardcore firearm enthusiasts are going to, and I know many, I, I think all three of us do, I, I think even the most hardcore are going to agree that they also want far fewer gun deaths, right? Their their ideas about how to get to that point may be very different from other ideas you hear, but everybody ultimately doesn't want a ton of people to die, right? The vast majority of people in the U.S., if you said, hey, do you think there should be more gun deaths? Their answer is going to be absolutely not because they're not monsters. And uh, they their answers, like their ideas or proposals might not seem like the right move to everyone, but people are trying to think of solutions. And, you know, they might say, hey, we need more responsibility from fellow gun owners, right? Or we need, we need technology, right, to help prevent gun deaths. And this is where the crux of the story starts coming together. I mean, 
We live in such an amazing, crazy time. You're listening to this podcast. You met, depending on your age, you may have met someone who was around before television. Even now, you know, they were probably very elderly when you met them. But uh, that's nuts. Uh, If you look at how quickly the pace of technology has escalated. Did you guys see, I think it was the most recent SNL episode with a lot of the new cast in there. They did this uh, great cold open with... I think, will you snap or something like that? Or when will you snap? And it was all about like uh-huh. breaking down because of the news. And there was a moment in there where they were, uh, Bowen Yang was, was rattling off facts about Joe Biden's age and like milestones in his life. Like when he got his oh, first no. personal computer and how he was in his fifties when he got, when, you know, you could get the first personal computer, <laughs> something ridiculous like that. Uh-huh. I was just like, oh boy, oh boy, okay. <laughs> I think for a lot of people, it might be mm. you know a grandparent, right? Because uh, television was invented, or television kind of debuted in 1927, late 1927. So, so yeah, history is it's going crazy. It's information overload. It's technology overload. People are saying technology is either different forms of tech are either going to destroy the world or save it. And both of those things, just like Schrodinger's cat, both of those things are true right now. Those same contradictory states exist. We just have to, we don't know what happens as we slowly open the box. Uh, But we are going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back to talk a little bit more about the technology where the story really takes off. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. 
Spectrum.com. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Okay, hypothetical question. <laughs> Sorry, not just hypothetical. Hypothetical question. Uh, if you were a time traveler and you came from, let's say, the era before, right before electric lights were widespread and you landed here in 2022, what what is some of the technology that would most surprise you? Not counting stuff like all the rare spices that are now at grocery stores. That's just better transit. That African you know? smoke spice. Have you ever seen that before at a Trader Joe's? It's like the African best. Smoke. It's like the best. It's like, like hot peppers. So you put it on a you put it it's on, like, like on a roast or it, no, it's like uh, it's it's spice. So it's just like um crushed pepper, right? Crushed crushed pepper and it's smoked and oh mm, goes on everything I eat now. <laughs> Ooh, mommy. <laughs> There it is. That's good. I like that. But okay, so what about the technology then? What what technology would amaze you? I, I I still think instant conversation. Instant conversations and atomic bombs. Those are like two of my like instant across the world conversations. Yeah. The fact that you can send people to space and then talk with them. With video too, so you can prove, like you've got a visual representation to prove that that person is wherever they say they are when they're talking to you. I think that would be like... Yeah, Yeah, this is, we're in what a time to be alive territory. And you are too, as you listen to this. Uh, But folks turn the idea of technology to the gun death problem in the U.S., and they say, and they, again, a lot of these are folks on both sides of whatever political divide you want to pick. But uh, the thing that gets me is that the two big kind of disagreements with the role of technology here are um, first, there's the idea that firearms should be more, much more heavily regulated and tracked much more comprehensively, it, it, regardless of how you feel about. Uh, gun ownership, which is a very sensitive topic for a lot of people in this country, regardless how you feel about it, it's undeniable that outfits like the NRA have purposely worked behind the scenes to stymie federal level like gun tracing. You know, they're they're against it. Uh, And you can hear any number of arguments why that might be. But this not NRA episode. It's just it's a reality that those groups are trying to stop tracking. But why? I mean, we hear so much about black market guns and filing off of serial numbers and all of this kind of stuff. Like, why not? If you if you don't have anything to hide, why would you be against that? Is, is it because of fear of false accusations or, or is it literally just like a, a paranoid doomsday prepper kind of mentality? You know, it, it could come from a, a, a bunch of different different viewpoints but one of the one of the arguments is what would happen if there were say a sudden revolution or god forbid a coup in the united states and now there was a new uh dictator or dictatorial regime that wants to you know um 
de-arm the populace. I would couch that with uh, doomsday prepper mentality. Yeah, I agree. A little bit. Yeah. Well, I just want to introduce something here in this moment in the conversation. Uh, do you guys know about NIBN? The Nibin, na- of course. One of my it's favorite N-I-B- acronyms. N-I-B-I-N. Sorry, guys. The national... Well, it's still, it's pronounced, an AT- still pronounced Nibin. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. But it's a it's an ATF thing. It's the National Integrated Ballistics something network uh, information like network. A database it's a database of different like uh uh weapons you know rifling barrels and things like that and also obviously ammunition you know things that can leave traces and allow you to you know follow the clues right like do your detective work it's just one of those things that is across the board right for all states within the u.s that it's something that can be used for that kind of tracing that you're talking about Right. You're right. Almost like an encyclopedia of ballistic evidence. So you could say, like, this is the kind of casing, uh, the kind of firing pattern you can expect from insert firearm here. Which, again, that's a good thing to know if you're trying to solve a crime. But others see this idea of more comprehensive tracking as another stumbling step down the slippery slope of the surveillance state. Too many S's. But we got through it. This, uh, for many people, paints a picture of an Orwellian society, one in which uh, freedom and privacy are incredibly endangered. But amid all these controversies, amid all these tragic deaths and all these differing ideas about how to prevent them in the future, we see the technology in the company ShotSpotter emerge. ShotSpotter is... Not a new kid on the block, but it's not super old either. It was founded in 1996. It's a private company. Uncle Sam doesn't own it. It's based in California. And its primary customers are law enforcement agencies or cities like Chicago or St. Louis. And all across the United States, this thing, this company, uh, has cr- deployed proprietary gunfire locating services. And we talked a little bit about the arrays that they use. I don't think we got to the exact type of microphone they use, but they're pretty innocuous. If you don't know what you're looking for, 20 to 25 microphones per square mile. They're on telephone poles. You'll see them in like traffic lights at corners, stuff like that. And they don't have cameras. All they do is listen to city noise and wait for what are called impulsive sounds. And then, you know, so you'll hear a pop, 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 right? And then they'll have an algorithm and a human agent, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of this, have an algorithm and a human agent determine whether this was a gunshot and if this is a gunshot and the subscription fee is still being paid, which is very important, then ShotSpotter will disperse this information to police uh, first responders on the scene. Uh, And the idea is that when this technology works, it can speed up response time immensely and therefore it can save lives. But critics claim there's a lot more to the story and here's where it gets crazy. So we, you guys want to talk about ShotSpotter? Matt, this, I think we originally started talking about this on air due to a news story or a listener mail. It was a listener mail. It was both. Yeah, but then it it became something. Well, but then, like, you know, it just kept being in the news and just kept being a topic of conversation that came up. 
I think it was Barry originally who uh, sent us a voicemail talking about it. And then we got all the info from all the other listeners you mentioned at the top of this episode. And we had a really great response from someone in law enforcement with one perspective and someone who is staunchly anti this technology. So that was interesting to hear the two sides, which we'll definitely get into. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, ShotSpotter was founded quite quite a while ago by this gentleman named Robert Schoen, S-H-O-W-E-N, and it has been, well, at least on paper, it has been extremely successful. We have heard personally and we have seen online uh, varying accounts about how successful the system and company is. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you rate success in terms of growth numbers, then they're going gangbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as of 2021, this stuff, the fancy name would be acoustic locator technology. It is in a, more than 100 cities. It's in 125 cities. It's on 14 campuses. If you totaled up all of the, if you total up all the coverage area, put all in one place, uh, you would see that ShotSpotter covers about 911 square miles, which does it, doesn't seem like a ton, maybe. Oh, no. We, we talked about in that previous episode, it costs $10,000 per square mile per to set up. square mile to cover. And, and, and one thing that we're going to get into, I know as well, is the technology, the actual technology behind it isn't very transparent. Like when, when, when we talk about these microphone arrays, like as a techno music technology and recording nerd, my immediate question is what kind of mics are they using? Are they using Ribbons? like parabolic mics, you know, ribbon mics? I would, I would assume something that, ha that can be focused, you know, and pointed and pick up, you know, from a decent distance away, perhaps with the aid of some sort of parabolic uh, cone around it that like sort of amplifies that uh, but it, you, you you can't find that information and I, I can tell you why it's proprietary it could well be some hybrid mic that they invented just for this purpose that they don't want us to know about because we might copy it and then someone might take that and make a better version or something like that you, you don't think they're omni mics they probably are uh, I don't know if they're an array, though, then I would assume they're in a 360 degree kind of shape. So you wouldn't want them to be omni. You wouldn't want them to be picking up on the back. Each one would be focused. So it would be like, you know, everything is like picking up in a, in a perimeter that's a circle. And then you've got coverage, you know, in 360 degrees. And that would make the most sense for an array, which is how they're describing it. But, right, you know, right. a single omni records in the front and the back of the microphone. So that might be too much detail on one mic and also an omni would come in on one audio channel whereas multiple single directional mics would have their own channel which could then be you know analyzed separately okay yeah. nerd yeah. no i'm just uh, well, well this is important because we know it is to a degree proprietary think when we say microphone what we should say is that ShotSpotter prefers to call them sensors because they're a combo deal. So there's a microphone, but then also there's a GPS to clock some data and uh, to then they've got memory and processing abilities. And then they have a cell capability to transmit that information. So I'm I am not sure what it looks like on the inside, but I'm, I'm convinced it's not, you know, just a, a microphone with some junk duct tape to it you know what i mean i don't think it looks like an ied or something but an improvised explosive device but certainly a prototype might have looked like that a prototype <laughs> you know, probably yeah. did yeah, yeah. 
prototypes usually look pretty sketchy. This you know dude showing I mean? might have like worked this out in his garage before he went uh, wide with it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And one of our listeners that we we mentioned earlier, NYS Leo, uh, wrote this great piece uh, that you definitely should listen to, even if you know you fundamentally disagree. Check out our listener mail with with a letter from him and uh, someone who has a different perspective. Uh, what was valuable to us about this correspondence is that NYSLEO breaks down the nuts and bolts of the technology from their firsthand experience as a law enforcement officer in a community that uses this. I think we all found it to be uh, reliable and reasonable because LEO here is really clear when they say, okay, after this part, I don't know. Something could be up. Something could be happening on that side. But here's my experience, and here's what I can tell you from a factual basis. Uh, Other folks replied with what happens when bad faith actors get involved in this process or when allegations of corruption and cover-up take place. Uh, Before we get to that, let's we got to walk through kind of the process of how this works, see the chain of evidence this kind of creates, and maybe this will help us see the gaps where uh, corruption or good old human error could could change the story. So the the censors send these; they, they hear something, right? Is this a dump truck? Is this a helicopter? Is this is this a gun? Right? Is this an active firefight? Well, the censors will pick this up. They send these audio files to the human analyst when the sensors say, okay, this is close enough to be a gunshot. These sensors also, they'll be as low as 20 feet from the ground, but the company likes them higher because that eliminates ambient noise. We do not know at this point if anybody has ever like farted hard or loud enough to fool the sensors. But (laughs) if you could hear a single fart in like a, a single square mile, because remember, uh, ShotSpotter is 20 plus microphones in a single square mile. And in order for the system to function, more than th- three or more of the microphones have to pick it up in order to triangulate where the thing is occurring. So if somebody tooted loud enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Y'all silly. I don't think they could do it. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. That would be. Medically fascinating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Going to the <laughs> <Dangerous>. hospital. <laughs> so, okay. Well, they, okay. They've detected these noises. It goes to a human analyst who listens to it. There are also a couple of algorithms that come into play. One that does some math that we'll get to. And this, this algorithm is uh, primarily meant to help triangulate and target uh, uh, an area where the shot occurred within, uh, you know, within a few meters. It's pretty impressive. Uh, the other slightly more complex algorithm is the one that gets accused of being kind of a black box. That's the one that helps figure out, you know, differentiate a dump truck or, you know, uh, a pants dump from a, uh, from a gunshot. Can it differentiate a toot from a shark, though, is the question. Uh... I don't know. I don't know. There's got to be like a a wetness sensor, right? You ever hear one? You think that that sounded wet? <laughs> We're gross Matt. boys. <laughs> Matt, Canceled. this is our job. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We're, yeah, yeah. we're doing. A, we're treating this seriously. So, okay, they so they echolocate, right? 
similar to the way bats do, right? They, uh, their, their algorithms are triangulating based on timing for when a sound reaches a different part of the square mile covered. And they also make an effort to figure out how many shots are fired and possibly what kind of gun could be involved. And it's not necessarily, you know, hyper-specific with the type of gun all the time. It's more like, think more like, is this a fully automatic weapon? Is this a pistol? For first responders, this lets them know what to expect. It gives them visibility that would not have been otherwise detected. And those algorithms, those are the secret sauce for this. It's not just one really busy guy per city constantly going, oh, shit, never mind. Oh, shit, never but, mind. But at some point, there has to be human intervention. Yes. And is that, my question is, is that the dispatcher who is maybe less trained with the technology? Or is there somebody that works for the company that is like really trained on their proprietary equipment that can then decide whether or not that, th- sort of like life alert, where you have a human that gets to assess you know, whether it's a real threat or not. According to ShotSpotter, it is specialists who are trained to analyze the audio who go back and check it again. They're okay. on the ShotSpotter side, mm-hmm. yeah. And part of that is wrapped up in the subscription fee. The idea is it's 24-7 monitoring is what you're, what you're paying for. $60,000 a year per <sighs> square mile after you get it set up. And if that's the full number, and it's not quite, we'll see why. Probably, probably in part two, because I know we're already we're already getting a little long here, but we got to introduce some issues. Let's just do, let's do the first issue before we get to the really crazy stuff in the next episode. So the first issue, this one we'll we'll spend the rest of the time on for part one of this series. The first issue might surprise you. We have to acknowledge that there, are, of course, there are a lot of folks who have a problem with Shot Spotter. They see it as this audio eye of Sauron, you know, this all-seeing or all-hearing entity of what uh, could be called a surveillance state. But a lot of people have a problem with this stuff. They're not worried about the, the potential dangers of a surveillance state. They're saying, we are worried about plain old effectiveness. We don't think it really works. What are they talking about? Let's take a pause for a word from our sponsors dive into some issues. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. 
we do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. We've returned. ShotSpotter, according to its critics, has more issues than a comic book. The studies that we want to reference, this is some of the objective stuff we could point to, right? Because the studies don't have necessarily a horse in the race. And when we are telling you about this stuff, both in this part and in part two, uh, please understand we're comparing the information. Shot spotter, spoiler, does not agree with any of it, to be like absolutely honest with you. One, one study gets quoted pretty often. It's called Acoustic Gunshot Detection Systems, a quasi-experimental evaluation in St. Louis, Missouri. Sexy title, right? No one's denying that. It's positively Joycean. Uh, Isn't that where the government sprayed one time and we talk about it it in our book? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. No, they totally did. And they never got in trouble. They sprayed what they thought were innocuous things that wouldn't hurt anybody, but then it turns out, oops. Carcinogenic. At the very least. Oopsie doodles. Yeah. RB, guys. RB. Uh, So this, this study... And Emily Blackburn is someone we'll we'll talk about some more too. This study claims the system isn't a good fit for all law enforcement agencies, especially if they have what's called a pre-existing high call volume. What that means is it's not a good fit for police departments that already have really busy days, you know, that already have a lot of folks calling for any number of things, robberies, reports of gunshots, et cetera. And these academics claim the system doesn't appear to actually reduce the rate of serious crimes at all, but it does increase demand on police resources. Because if you trust this system enough to tell you when a firearm has been discharged, then you're not going to waste time. Like NYS LEO said, time is, is crucial when it comes to gunshot wounds, right? So this study is saying that really this thing sends people out when it doesn't need to, or it in- increases demands on often already cash-strapped departments. Well, I, I mean, I guess that depends on how how responsive the public is to call 911 when there is an emergency or, you know, a shot is fired, right? Right, just so. Is the issue also that when police are deployed, that becomes a statistic as well, and then can lead to perhaps false 
data around things being high crime neighborhoods or neighborhoods getting maybe unfairly categorized uh, as such. It's a huge, it's a huge issue because, you know, you get into this kind of, without it all diminishing it uh, and oversimplifying it too much, sometimes you get in this sort of chicken and egg argument. Are police in these neighborhoods uh, more often because they're bad neighborhoods or is the increased crime rate due to other things, right? And is increased police presence one of those things? And of course, you can already tell, it's a very hot-button issue that many, many people have, no fooling, gotten their PhDs in, and people are still arguing about it, right? No one's quite sure how to solve that conundrum. But if you ever read just one study, you can maybe dismiss it. Right. You can say, well, this is one thing. Can we reproduce this? Right. Can we objectively figure out whether there's a pattern? That's where another study comes out in 2021, same year, October this time. They went deep in a paper called Impact of Shot Spotter Technology on Firearm Homicides and Arrest Among Large Metropolitan Counties, a Longitudinal Analysis, 1999 to 2016. These studies are clearly in a contest to have the longest name. And this study looked at 17 years of shot spotter use. That's why that's why they use the word longitudinal in there, just to, to say they're studying a, a long time, a long time scale of this thing and how it was doing. And man, their conclusions aren't great for shot spotter. No, not at all. This is... This is not good press for them. Uh, What we would have to point out is they concluded, quote, and this is them, okay? ShotSpotter legal team, this is not us. Implementing ShotSpotter technology has no significant impact on firearm-related homicides or arrest outcomes. Instead, the authors of this study, and there are five of them, the Voltron up to write this, they say you should look to public policy solutions. So you need to do something politically and legally uh, to get more bang for your buck or to get less bang for your buck, which would be the mission here. Oh, yeah, that's right. So they're not even saying that this stuff is um, ripe for turning the U.S. into 1984. They're saying it might not be worth the cash and this brings us to another issue. The what this one is for all the fellow cheapskates in the crowd. Cost. How much does it cost? What are we paying for, especially when so many municipalities are cash strapped due either to mismanagement, um, gutting of budgets, or you know, good old-fashioned corruption, right? Shout out to everybody who got away with the PPP loans, you criminals. Uh, so <laughs> so I love that that's Seriously, a Seriously, way to screw it up for everybody else that actually I know. needed it. I can't. I see it every time. I can't even get away with a late fee at the library, you know? But, okay, the cost. And we to, we wanted to get this from straight from the horse's mouth or from the microphone's plug. Uh, ShotSpotter is not cheap at all, uh, and arguably it shouldn't be. But uh, here's how they put it in their fact sheet. 
So per the official fact sheet, like you said, Ben, uh, quote, the service is offered as a cloud-based solution with no expensive premise-based equipment or software to be owned or maintained. The subscription fee is between 65000 and 95000 per square mile per year with a three square mile minimum. Woo. Okay, uh, can we unpack this real quick? Because it says no expensive premise-based equipment. How is this not ex- – what is premise-based equipment? Oh, I get it. Like on the premises. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously cloud – Technology has gone a long way to be another audio nerd for a second. There is a company that you can stream. Uh, they have like racks and racks and racks of like the most high end uh, like studio equipment you could ever imagine. The kinds of things you could never possibly own. And if you subscribe to the service, I could through my computer send my signal to their room, get it processed by their rack equipment, and then send it back into to my computer to record it, which is freaking cool because it's. Like, yeah, I would never, you know, be able to be able to afford all of that stuff. So th- cloud computing and uh, technology and uh, streaming speed has increased to such a degree that something that needs to be real time like that can occur uh, because processing power is so affordable. Uh, server space is so affordable and small. So, I mean, it, it, I can't argue that the technology sounds neat um, when you start getting into the the, the subscription fee. Uh, and the square mileage rate, uh, that starts to make your brow furrow a little bit. So on the low end, let's see, that's 65000 if you're getting a deal, right, per square mile. And you have to have three square miles, so that goes really quickly to 195000 per year uh, minimum. And that probably, I'm just guessing here, that probably comes with a multi-year agreement, like a lease. You know what I mean? Uh, that's probably, and that just makes sense. That's not necessarily conspiratorial because that's how a lot of cities contract out businesses. Back to Emily Blackburn. Uh, this time, Blackburn is writing at Police Chief Magazine, which I did not know as a magazine, but is. Uh, <laughs> this great story, Ben. Uh, these costs per Blackburn also don't account for increases in call volume that agencies will experience. Now you've got to have more people manning the phones, right? Uh, And it doesn't account for loss of efficiency in that response. This article, I know might not be everybody's like sexy bedtime reading, but it is worth the time. It's worth reading for civilians and um, law enforcement professionals alike, because it drills down into the specifics of ShotSpotter in St. Louis from a cost-benefit perspective, and they conclude the city probably spends another $90,000 at least or $25,000 per square mile extra on top of all the uh, all the stuff they're paying ShotSpotter for. It comes with a lot of incurred costs that get pushed onto uh, the department or the agency, and from there get pushed onto taxpayers, whether or not they want ShotSpotter in their community. Uh, I, yeah, I concur. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's the thing. You're paying for it, okay? It doesn't matter if you don't want it in your community. It doesn't matter if you love it. Your community's paying for it if it's installed because those that those funds have to come from somewhere. This means that, at least in the case of Missouri, 
what they were, what was supposed to cost 65 to 90 K is probably costing more like minimum 90 K to $115,000 per square mile. And spoiler alert, people aren't doing this in just one square mile of a city. Uh, That's just not the way it works. And you gotta have three, right? Minimum. 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 And then if you look at it, if you look at it from this case, you know, we're starting with this one because this is an issue with ShotSpotter, but it's by far the least crazy issue. It's the least quote unquote juicy issue. It's, you know, a problem for the bean counters over in accounting, right? Uh, but it but it is important because you have to remember regardless of your stance on law enforcement in America, you have to remember that uh, taxpayers are paying for it, right? And you have to remember that money is therefore coming from your pockets. Uh, This is just the beginning of the story about ShotSpotter. We're going to follow up with more of the juicy stuff we teased in the second part of this series, which I believe will be coming out after this weekend. So everybody stay tuned be safe. And uh, in the meantime, we want to know what you think about ShotSpotter so far. Uh, Let us know. We try to be easy to find online. Correct. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter and we're on YouTube at the Hamill Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we're Conspiracy Stuff Show. Yes, we have a phone number. It is 1-833-STD-WYTK. You can call us right now. Leave a voicemail. You've got three minutes. Say whatever you'd like. Please give yourself a cool moniker of some sort, a secret code name, just like Doc Holliday and Mission Control over here. And uh, let us know if we can use your voice and message on one of our listener mail episodes. And that's really it. If you don't like calling and using your voice like that, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.